Hey, it's Marie here, and this week I'm actually on my own. <laughs> actually, no, that's not true. Jesse's away this week, and I have Michelle Hansen as our very first guest on the Weekly Build. Hey, Michelle. Hey, am I the first <laughs> guest? Yes, you're the very first guest, because just started off as me and Jesse wanting to have a weekly chat, and we actually never planned to have guests, but he's away this week. So we both, we actually both said in unison, what if we ask Michelle? And here we are. Oh, I'm honored. We kind of go back a little bit. We met on Twitter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We met when we were doing fleets. Yeah. And Homer, all of your fleets about Homer and how cute he is. And Yeah, yeah. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> I, I really wish, okay, I know this is not going to happen, but I really wish Twitter brought back fleets because I feel like I connected with so many people just on a more personal level with that service. And you mentioned Homer, my dog. Yes, I used to post a lot of him on Fleets because it made sense. You don't want to bombard your main feed with something like that because my main feed's about llama life and building llama life and just building stuff. But that's how I met you and saw a lot about your strawberries and stuff that you used to post. Yeah, it was <laughs> the same because it was like, okay, people are following me because of yeah, software stuff and book and everything and customer research. And they're not here to see pictures of my dog and fields of strawberries. Um, and so I felt like it was a place where I could post that where it wasn't intrusive, you know, like people yeah. were by clicking on the little fleets icon, people were opting in to see something. So I felt like I didn't have to be on brand, so to speak. Same. I felt exactly the same. Yeah. So it's super nice to have you here. And I feel like it's a, a little bit of a reunion because of fleets, but also because I was on your podcast, Software Social, back in March this year, 2022. It feels like forever ago, though. I actually thought it was a year ago and you just reminded me it was just in March. That's about eight months ago. It just feels like time has flown. It does. It really does. So this is just going to be a pretty free-flowing conversation. Usually what we do is we kind of just talk about our week and what we've done during that week. And uh, maybe I'll just kick it off a bit with, with Llama Life. And um, then we can talk about some of the stuff that you've been doing. Could be this week or last week, but just stuff that's kind of recent, you know, some of the challenges you've had building your own business. And yeah, we just keep it going from there. For me this week, Llama Life, we've been focusing a lot on content. I think this is one thing that, that a lot of builders, especially the indie makers, find challenging is getting away from the code and building features and actually going into the marketing side and content side. We've been doing a lot of that this week. So we just started an Instagram account, which is kind of weird that we never had one before, but just getting all the content for that organized, like from a, a branding perspective, like what are the guidelines, what sort of templates do we want to use? And obviously just trying to create all that content in advance because that stuff takes a lot of time and you don't want to be doing it on the fly. You kind of want to have something built up, maybe like 20, 30 pieces that you can just keep pushing out. So I've been focusing a lot on that this week. We also had a new hire join the team and she started um, two weeks ago. So she's been helping a lot with the Instagram stuff and getting into Canva and kind of making all the content for that. So it's been a pretty marketing heavy week, two weeks, I would say, but it's good. I feel like it's the start of something else that we're doing, like a new project in a way. So it's fresh. I'm curious, you said we, and you mentioned you had a new hire start recently. Mm -hmm. How many people are on your team now, like from full-time and also contractors and whatnot? There's two full-time people. So that's myself and one other person who does more like community partnership work. 
I do everything, but I do mostly the development side, like software development, and I do sort of business admin stuff as well. And then I have one other full-time person. She's doing, originally it was meant to be content, community, and partnerships, but that's really three roles. So over time, as we've kind of built that up, we're trying to split out her role. So we just split out the, the content stuff into a contracting role. So we'll see how that goes. So that's two full-time plus a contractor? Three people full-time plus a contractor. So me and one other and then one contractor at the moment. We did have another full-time dev a couple of months ago. That didn't quite work out. It was just not the right fit. So unfortunately, we had to move on from that. But it's very fluid right now. I'm trying to identify where the gaps are and then based on those gaps, kind of fill those gaps with short-term roles just for the time being with the plan to make them into full-time roles later on. Yeah. I mean, because it sounds like you're basically CTO, CEO, and COO. Yeah. And then you see how your other full-time person has like three things going on. And I almost wonder if like, if you made an org chart, not of people, but like what all the roles would be. Like this is something that Arvid Call and Danielle Simpson did when they were running Feedback mm-hmm. Panda is they apparently, I think it was a Trello board. Danielle told us about when she was on my show. Oh my gosh, it was like two years ago now. Jeez. But she said they had like this like Trello board of like, what all of the roles like would be and then they had tasks under them and like they might have been doing part of that or they might not have been doing it at all and I almost wonder what that would look like if you just like made a full org chart of like okay here's like director of marketing but then content coordinator and like bookkeeper or what like and you saw like who is fitting in where yeah that's a good idea we sort of did something similar it wasn't so much an org chart, but it was more of a mind map. You know those mind mapping tools? Have you ever used mind mm. maps? Yeah. I'm like obsessed. Yeah, I love Whimsical. Whimsical? I've never <laughs> is that is that the name of the tool? The tool is called Whimsical, which is actually kind of funny because like I use it for work, but also like my personal life. You mm-hmm. know, I live in Denmark and so I'm in the Danish immigration system here. And so I have a flowchart that I made in Whimsical of my immigration process here. And I shared it with someone on a Facebook group for foreigners living in Denmark. And I was like, oh, yeah, I made a Whimsical flowchart of it. And they were like, Whimsical? Like, there's nothing whimsical about like being in the immigration <laughs> system. I was like, no, 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 no. That's what it's called. It's not like <laughs> the flowchart itself is not funny. Um <laughs> Is this the same tool that you, you used? So so recently you posted something on Twitter. It was a flowchart about laundry. Yes, I used Whimsical for that. Okay, okay. Yes. We, we can link to this tweet after, but I found that tweet so funny. It was kind of like a flowchart, <laughs> decision tree kind of thing, right? Flowchart, yes or no, in terms of how to get laundry done and why laundry is so difficult to get done. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't even just doing laundry. It was just switching the laundry and it's like, all of the like things that can go wrong when you're like, oh, this is a two minute task. And then like yeah. an hour and a half later, you're still doing it. Ever since you posted that laundry post, every single time I've had to do laundry where um, whatever stage of laundry it's at, whether it's putting it in or hanging it up, I, I have this thought and I was like, oh, Michelle, Michelle's doing laundry. And I remember that tweet. It's kind of one of those things that just stuck in my head now because I saw it one time and it, it is a really good um breakdown of the process and you wouldn't think there's that many steps or decisions that have to go through our head when we do laundry but there is I'll link it in the show notes it's a very cool tool and just kind of bringing it back to that the org chart I use a tool called mind node Mm -hmm. I think it's only for mac though and it basically lets you create nodes and then off a node you can um, have all these different lines that come off and 
you can join things together and it's really about kind of mapping things out and how different things are related to other things. I did that for the org chart. It was more Llama Life was in the middle and then here are all the gaps and like all the different roles that we would have associated with that and then who's doing those roles. Are they full-time things or are they just sort of part-time gaps that we need to fill? I love doing stuff like that because it it just makes it so much easier because it's visual to see what's going on and where the pain points might be. So did you do that as well with Geocodio? No, but now that I'm talking about how useful a tool that is, I feel like I should. <laughs> I feel like I should take my own advice and do that. <laughs> For Geocodio at the moment, it's just the two of you, is that right? Two full time? Well, okay, so there's Matthias and I, so my husband and I, we've been, some context is that we started as a side project in 2014, mm-hmm. ran it as a side project. I went full time in October of 2017. So I actually, I just celebrated five years of working for myself full time recently, which is actually like, you know, the the really wild thing is that I realized I have worked for myself longer than I ever worked for another company. That's wild. Yeah. It just, it feels, feels kind of wild to me. And then my husband went full time. He went part time and then full time in in 2018. Mm -hmm. So for the first eight and a half years of the business, it was just the two of us. And then we hired someone full time in July. And he is like a hybrid of technical support and like technical content. So his title is content and support engineer. It's both things like, you know, people write in, have questions about using the API, for example, like he answers those kinds of questions, but then he also creates content of like, hey, like, here's how you can build an app that looks up who someone's congressperson is in a Rails app, like, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's like technical tutorials and documentation, like writing libraries, that kind of stuff. And then also have, you know, contractors for accounting and legal. And I also have a contract VA, but that's, she's part-time. How did you identify that you needed that person? Was it just too much workload coming in or? It was more like this, she's actually a he is actually a former coworker of my husband's mm-hmm. and he, they used to work together at the same startup that my husband worked at before he went full-time on Geocodio. And a couple years ago, he quit that and then went through coding school. Matthias happened to see this on LinkedIn in like March or so that he had just graduated from coding school and, and we're like, Oh, like, you know, he's probably building his resume right now. Hey, it'd be really awesome if we just like gave him a couple freelance projects just so he has something to put on his resume. Like, I had just started hiring contractors to write technical tutorials. And so it was like, we could just have him do one of those, like be perfect. And then he started working with us for like a month or so doing that and 20 hours a week. And it was just a really good fit. And he was still looking for a full-time job though. And we kind of mm-hmm. had this moment where we're like, oh my gosh, like what if he gets a full-time job? And then we're like, we should just hire him. So like, it wasn't like a, we need a content and support person. It was, we actually have this person we already know who would be a really good fit for it. And since Matthias had worked with him in the past, we knew he was also a really good fit culture-wise, but also in terms of how he would treat and think about our customers too, which is mm-hmm. something that's like really, really important to us. And so it was just kind of a, it just kind of evolved. It's been a really good fit. Yeah. I feel like that's the perfect kind of story. Like, I feel like that's the best way for things to happen. So even the other permanent full-time person on on my team on Llama Life, 
I've actually known her for a long time. So it wasn't that here's a role, let me advertise it and just go through resumes and pick someone. I'd actually worked with her in a previous corporate job that I had. We were in the same team in that company. And I just remember thinking like at the time when I do another startup, because before that I'd done some startups, which failed. And then I went back to corporate. And then while I was at corporate, I met this person. And I, I just remember thinking, oh, when I do another startup, like I really want to work with her. And then I think <laughs> it was maybe three years down the track. I was like, hey, I'm doing this. I have this role. And it was quite natural. And I think that's the best way because there's already a trust there as well, because you know that person. In our case, we'd worked together before, and it sounds like in your case, you said that person worked with your husband before, and then you worked a little bit together, and then you sort of just said, retire them. So overall, I would say it's good. I feel like we're making progress because, you know, we've just got this content person. Content and marketing and partnerships, relationship stuff is challenging. Like that takes time and effort. I don't see a lot of smaller companies focusing on that so much. I see a lot of startups focusing on the the tech side. And maybe that's just because of the business I'm in. Like I feel like our product is very much about the experience. It brings people, the community that you can be part of. So there is tech stuff as well, but we're, we're really focusing on sort of the marketing and community side and, you know, how can we grow an audience around that and help people get stuff done with Llama Life. It's not so much a tech play. I would say it's a branding and marketing play in my mind that we're trying to build. I think with that in mind, we've, we have moved forward toward our goal because we've been hiring people in that space. I noticed lately that you've been working on the onboarding sequence for Llama Life. And yeah. I'm curious, do you consider that kind of work marketing? It's not marketing in the traditional sense because a lot of people think marketing is sort of outwards, right? It's communicating to customers that you're trying to acquire. This is more about internal marketing. It's a retention thing for me. So the reason we're doing onboarding is because we notice that we lose people in the first seven days. And in the first seven days, you have a free trial of the product. And then after that, to get all the premium features, you need to pay. So the first seven days is very, very important in terms of convincing someone that the product is for them, showing value as soon as possible. And we were basically getting customers emailing us, asking about specific product features. And we were like, that feature is there. It's just in settings. You didn't see it. So it kind of highlighted a problem that people like it, but they don't realize what it can do because they're asking us for stuff that is already in the, in the product. So that's why we did the onboarding. It's to, to kind of show people around, give them a product tour, but also explain a few features. In answer to your question, is it marketing? It's marketing to a customer that you've just acquired. Like you've just got them in. So you're doing a little bit more marketing to them to push them over the line and the line being to convert to a paid user. I think that's where you're going. Like, would you consider it a type of marketing or a form of marketing? Is that where you're going? You're kind of smiling, but... um. <laughs> Yeah. So I think I would consider it in the same way that everything your company does is user experience, right? From yeah. like how they come across you to how the purchasing experience goes to how it's actually like to use the product, right? To reaching out to customer support. In the same way that all of that is user experience, I would say that also everything is marketing, especially for you with a free trial where those seven days are really crucial for converting people into a paid plan, right? Like, to me, part of the essence of marketing that, that even if you take a very traditional look at it, it's driving conversion. Mm -hmm. For you, you kind of have two steps of conversion. There's the first, do they go from knowing about the product to doing the trial, but then do they 
go from doing the trial to staying with the products. And I would say that retention is marketing, especially in that free trial phase. And I mean, speaking about full-time jobs, you know, my first year or so as a product manager, I was basically only doing onboarding for the company's like suite of products. And our onboarding got so much better when we got marketing resources, like when we were able to bring in copywriters and graphics and like we had people who actually really think about conversion type things working on the product side rather than Mm -hmm. it just being sort of pure product type thinking on the retention side. So I, I would say it is it is marketing especially since you're trying to drive conversion to a paid plan. I like the way you're thinking about it. It's marketing at a different point in the funnel. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, there's different stages. Someone hasn't signed up for the product yet. So you're marketing to them to make them aware of the product and then persuade them to sign up. Once they've signed up, when they're in the first seven days, you're still marketing to them because you want them to convert. Like there's another step that you'd like them to do. So it's kind of just maybe like smaller scale marketing and more individual sort of tailored marketing at that point in time to convert them or to persuade them to get to the next step. I was just curious because you said um, you had marketing team resources. So you were in the product team doing the onboarding for that company and then they gave you marketing resources within that to improve the onboarding specifically? Yeah, because again, they weren't free trial periods, but they were money back guarantee periods. Okay. So a really important thing for us was getting people into and using the product so that they didn't refund within that money back guarantee period. Gotcha. So that varied by product, how long that was. But yeah, so we were doing all sorts of onboarding type stuff to make sure that they you know, got to know the product, got to see the value of it, got to experience the value of it. Two really key things for retention were first the marketing resources. And that's everything from having a a marketing copywriter writing the onboarding email sequence, or at least like looking at it and and giving us advice on that. But they're also, you know, running retargeting ads. So people that we knew had come to the product, because when you know the LTV of a longtime customer, then you can also budget for advertising. So retargeting and also doing stuff like you're doing with like onboarding tours. And and I mean, I spent so much time designing onboarding tours and figuring out which users are the ones who retain. And so of the people who retain, like which actions did they take? Which features did they see? Let's make sure more people see those features. The problem with that was, was that you can't just draw a line between, okay, if a person sees this feature, then they will retain because that's pure correlation. And it doesn't tell you why. Like it doesn't tell you that maybe that user was more motivated for some reason you're not aware of so that they ended up looking for all of the features. And so there was partly the marketing side of it, but then there was also a huge emphasis on the research side and mm-hmm. the especially usability. So putting like taking people who were in the target audience, but weren't customers, and then putting them basically through a usability test of like 10 things that we thought were key to understanding what the product did. And so it would be like making it clear to them that you're testing the product, but saying, okay, let's say that you've just purchased this product. And we also did, you know, purchase process testing too. But like, if you wanted to start a new to-do list, can you try to show me where you would do that? And then you just watch them and see what they do and where they struggle with it. And you do that with like five, five, 10 people or so. And then you can mm-hmm, see, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Okay. So this button that we thought was super clear, actually everyone's skipping it because it kind of looks like a display ad. So actually maybe we need to like change it. And if we test it and we put it over here, do more people click on it? Or like, yeah. like it, which is this the idea of discoverability, which is basically can people discover the things they can do 
in your product and also getting to hear about why people might want to use a certain feature or not, because then we could use that in the marketing to say, if you're trying to do this goal that people have told us about in the usability testing and the qualitative testing, by the way, like you should really do this here now in the email, go click on it, do it. Like, <laughs> and then you can start to drive those two things together. You kind of, kind of need both of them. And then you can see, oh yeah, okay, great. The people who got this email, you know, because it was a big company, everything was, you know, split tests and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I was like, okay, the people who got this email that drove them to that feature with that messaging based on the testing, they performed better retention wise than the people who didn't get that email. And then you just kind of keep testing like that. I think as small companies, we don't really have the same level of uh, process going on in terms of which emails and features and stuff you promote and split testing everything and whatnot. But it was really, really helpful to do that usability testing, figure out can people actually find the stuff we built? Like, and then if they find it, can they use it? And what problems do they have with it? Yeah. And then use that to feed into the marketing to drive up retention. I think that's a really good point. And it's something, I'll be honest, like we haven't done any stuff like that. And I, I don't actually see a lot of people, you know, the people that, that are in our circles online, a lot of the indie makers, I don't really see people doing that. Like you said, maybe it's more, like it's harder to do when you're a small company for sure. But there's probably ways we could do it on a, on a small scale, like even just getting a, a feel for maybe a Zoom call to see how someone's using the product. I was just thinking as you were talking about what goes into onboarding and how many different facets of there, there there are, I was kind of feeling relieved because I feel like I spent so much time doing this onboarding sequence. I feel like I almost spent too much time. It was more complicated than I thought, but hearing you talk about it, and what you went through, I'm like, actually, I think I was justified because there is a lot to it. There's like the onboarding emails that come out. There's a product tour, just showing people where to find things within the product. But then we also do this thing where we're trying to customize and personalize the settings based on your answers. So we'll ask you a few questions and based on what you answer, we'll say, well, we've turned on these features based on what you just said and we explain those features. So we're really trying to personalize it based on what we think could work best for you because everybody is a little bit different. We don't know if it works yet. So right now we're gonna be collecting some data. I think we're at the start of your process. So we're gonna be collecting some data and then we're gonna figure out from the data, let's see if we can cut that to see, you know, is there a higher conversion from free to paid amongst people who went through the onboarding and went through the onboarding in a specific way. I guess we'll see. And then I will just encourage you to test with people. When you see that data come in, see if there are correlations. Yes. Go talk to people, watch them go through the product because something I say all the time is a spreadsheet of data will tell you what is happening, but it will never tell you why. Only people can tell you why. Yeah, yeah. And so you gotta feed those two things kind of back and forth to see why things are happening, but then what people are actually doing and how that correlates and kind of hone in on it that way. I think it's a super good point. So you're really talking about sort of qualitative analysis and quantitative analysis together. The quantitative being like the numbers that you get from, you know, your analytics tool, like a mixed panel or plausible or something like that. But then, like you said, that just says what's happening, but it doesn't really give you the underlying, you know, why did that happen? And that's what you get from the qualitative side, which is when you go actually speak to people and you won't get as big a sample size when you're going to do qualitative data because that's it's just the nature of it. You, it's harder to do that many interviews one-on-one -on -one 
when you're talking to someone versus getting someone to do a quick survey or getting someone, you know, just seeing some data come through on your analytics tool. I like the point that you're saying is, you know, you need to kind of use those two things in combination. You see what's happening, then you go find out why by having these more in-depth interviews with people and then use that to change your product then see what data comes in again from the quantitative tools and it goes round and round and round ideally is that is that kind of what you're saying yeah and i mean and to what you were saying about how you feel like you're spending a lot of time on this and what we've just described is a full-time job for mm. people in bigger companies like the like the retention marketing side i mean you know some companies would put up would say that's a product manager some people would say it's a marketing person it kind of depends on the company but managing that whole flow from okay the customer has been acquired, or at least the user has been acquired. Now we convert them into a customer and we do all of these things to get them to see the value as soon as possible and, and hopefully convert into a full plan. That is a full-time job. And I think you should give yourself some credit for how you are doing that full-time job in addition to being CEO, CTO, and COO, basically being the solo developer at this point and also trying to recruit another developer like you are doing so much and you should give yourself more credit for that. Oh, thanks. Yes, it's kind of what needs to be done. And I, I enjoy it as well. It's all fun for me, you know, like there's definitely some stress. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. There's definitely stress involved, but I love doing what I'm doing and I would much rather be doing this than working for someone else in, you know, a large corporate. So I think that's that's probably something we can, we can both agree on and it might be actually a good place to to stop this week. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to find you online, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter um, at MJW Hansen, though, yeah, who knows what's going on with Twitter. Um, <laughs> as you guys said recently, like, I don't know if this is going to be relevant by the time it airs. Um, yeah, kind of also doing Mastodon as well. I have a newsletter. You can find that at deployempathy.com also my podcast software social software social.dev thanks michelle thank you marie